0: How good are those videos? It's well worth watching them. They're chosen. You can find them online. They're so good to watch. Do you know, as you sit there this morning, that Jesus looks at you with the intensity of love that he looked at Matthew, the tax collector? That he sees you, that he knows your name, and that he calls you to follow him. I know many of us here have said yes, and have chosen to follow Jesus for years. And he still looks at us and knows our name and loves us. You may be sitting here this morning and maybe you've not actually said yes yet. You haven't left that tax collector's booth to follow. Can I encourage you to think about that this morning? It's a big decision but it is one of the very best, I think the very best, that you will ever make in your entire life to follow Jesus because he looks at you with love every day and invites you to follow him. If that's you this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, think about it, talk to somebody today and I'd really encourage you to make that decision. This morning, as Troy said, we're continuing this theme of cups of water. How can we be people who throughout our days are just offering cups of water, offering moments of goodness, of love to other people? and our theme for the whole year is breathe. And this topic fits so well with uh, the last part of that, after that reflection and the in-breath, after that pause and being with God. It's that breath out, that breath of going, where are you at work, God, so that I can join you? We've already seen as we started this topic that Jesus completely redefines what the good life looks like. Our world tells us in so many ways that the good life is all about success and money and pleasure and excitement and all the other things. But Jesus comes along and he says that that is not where the good life is to be found. The good life to be found is to be found in humility, in justice bringing, in peacemaking, in mourning when life is painful and hurts. In mercy giving, I think that most of us would agree that the most profound relationships we can be in, the best communities we'll have ever experienced, be, will be the ones where love abounds, where we both give and we receive mercy, forgiveness, peace, the benefit of the doubt, acceptance to each other, love and care. And for those of us this morning that choose to follow Jesus, we're called to love. And Jesus' call to love is an extreme one. Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus says this, you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. That way you'll be children of your father in heaven After all, he makes his sun rise on good and bad alike and sends rain both on the upright and on the unjust. Look at it like this. If you love those who love you, do you expect a special reward? Even tax collectors do that, don't they? And if you only greet your own family, what's so special about that? Even Gentiles do that, don't they? Well then, you must be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we choose to follow Jesus, the call is not just to join him in his work, it is that. The call is to be like Jesus, to live like him, to love like him, to be his representative, to be like a mirror reflecting him into the world, to be so transformed ourselves by God's love that we pour out his love, we pour out his welcome, we pour out his goodness to all those around us, including our enemies. And this is what it means when it says in the passage about, and then you will be a child of God, or where it says at the end, be perfect just as your father is perfect. It's tricky because the Greek word for perfect is a bit different from how we use it. It doesn't mean be all-round perfect in every aspect of your life and never make a mistake. It's more about the word mature and complete in the topic that it's talking about. So in this instance, it's talking about extreme love and it's inviting us to be mature and complete, saturated in God's love. Because after all, Doesn't God give rain and sunshine to the good and the bad, the just and the unjust? And we're called to do the same. Yes, we're called to love our enemy. In the chosen video, that we looked at. Peter, the one that, the follower already that comes up and talks to Jesus, he looks at the person in the tax collector's booth and he knows that is his enemy. Matthew is a tax collector and he is the enemy. Whose face do you see in the tax collector's booth? Who is it that if Jesus stopped and looked lovingly at them? would cause you inside to actually run up to Jesus and go, hang hang on, hang on, hang on, stop. Do you have any idea who this person is? Do you have any idea what this person has done to hurt me, to hurt other people? That is our enemy. And if we follow Jesus, we're called to love them. Surely that is impossible. Surely, that is completely impossible. A few weeks ago, about a month or so, I found out that this joyful topic is the topic that I was speaking on this morning. I began the wrestle that has continued and is still going to continue beyond this. I've not finished wrestling with it yet. But I began to think about, well, who are my enemies? And I thought, I don't actually know. That word seems a bit too strong for me. Actually, I don't know that I would actually call anybody an enemy of mine. There are people that irritate me a bit, none of you. There are people that irritate me, maybe the choices that they make I don't agree with, maybe the way they live their life, maybe they've hurt me at some point. But I think the word for enemy for them is a little bit too extreme. But I know that there are many people in this room who have been hurt and who could use the word enemy appropriately and I want to just acknowledge that because that is incredibly hard and that is the face of the person that we see in the tax collectors booth Russia invaded the Ukraine and instantly I have a face in the tax collectors booth I chatted with my mum during this week and said that I'm speaking on Sunday and she said, oh, what about? And I said, loving your enemies. And we raised our eyebrows, because it was in that, we'd been talking about that. We raised our eyebrows and my mom said, oh yes, we must love our enemies, but not Putin. <laughs> and we chuckled. This topic is really difficult, and it is something that we need to wrestle over, and you may leave here with more questions than you actually arrived here this morning because something is unsettled in us. And that is OK, because it's as we wrestle with it that we actually um, come to be able to, to be at a place where we can hopefully love. But if you leave with questions, that is OK. Jesus had many enemies. The Jewish nation by this point, when we meet him, had been oppressed for over 600 years, which is vaguely the same, a little bit less than, the time uh, that white men Europeans have actually been settled, three times that, that white men have called this land of Australia home. About three times that length of time this um, country had been oppressed by all sorts of different nations and then eventually by the Romans. That's when Jesus comes along. There were many enemies. We saw snapshots of some of them in the video. The Roman oppressors were obviously enemy. They could make your life miserable and they could end your life if they chose. Your own people like the tax collector that had chosen to work alongside um, the enemy or Herod the puppet king. These faces were all faces you could see in the tax collector's booth as your enemy There were many people actually that were part of your people, but just because of unfortunate circumstances, sometimes like skin disease, um, that you would shun them. They would be outsiders or people that chose, made choices that you didn't agree with. Uh, The people they called sinners, prostitutes, people who you felt that their way they lived their life stained your nation. And so they were also treated as outsiders, the face behind the um, the tax collector's booth. And for Jesus, some of his own people um, continuously tried to silence him and continuously um, tried to end his ministry and succeeded in that in the end by killing him, the worst kind of death. So there were many faces that Jesus could have seen in the tax collector's booth window as his enemy, and yet Jesus loved them. He loved them. He chose to live amongst them, meet with them, eat with them, heal them, heal the ones that they loved, um, challenge them, teach them. And when in his own disciples he saw feelings of revenge or anger or violence arise in them, he would challenge them and stop that. And when finally the mob arrived with their torches to arrest Jesus, we read this. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forwards to meet them. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. And he steps into that moment because Jesus is so saturated with love that he steps into the agony to come. That he steps into a place of bleeding and dying for his enemies even offering forgiveness in a moment of agony. And Jesus died for every enemy since then. For every moment of our life when we have lived as the enemy. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves them. And we sit here this morning and we can be aware that God deeply loves us right now. Whoever you are, however you've lived your life, whatever you've done, Jesus loves us deeply. And he tells us to love like him, to love everyone, including our enemy. And he tells us this because he knows what anger and violence and revenge does to our hearts. He knows that it takes our hearts and it hardens them and it poisons them and it is no good for us at all. The Bible says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's not a case of going, I recognize that I'm feeling anger, or I want to hurt this person because of what they've done. I will stop that thought. It is about completely flipping it on its head and actually overcoming with love and offering love. Martin Luther King over in America in the 1950s and 60s knew what it was to have enemies. People hated him, wanted to oppress him, wanted to shut him up, all because of the color of his skin, because of his black skin. And he um, has written a quote that we're going to look at now, which is a beautiful explanation of how to flip hate to love. This is what he says. The ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, Violence merely increases hate, so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. So what does the call on those of us that follow Jesus to love our enemies actually mean? The word that is used in the passage in Matthew for love is agape or agape. I don't know what Australians say. Agape. And it is a very different form of love to all the other forms of love that you find in the Bible. The other forms of love are how we might feel towards a partner or a child or a friend or people in our circle. And that is an emotion and that wells up within us. Sometimes we can't help it, but it wells up within us, it's an emotion. But this love is different, agape love is different. It is an attitude it is a choice, it is a mindset, and it's an action as well. When Jesus calls us to love our enemy, he calls us to choose to see them as he does, as a human that bears his image and that is loved by him. We can still utterly disagree with what they think, We can still think that their actions are completely wrong, worse than wrong often. And yet, despite that, we have to choose to have the mindset of love. And this love that we offer to our enemies is not passive. It is not a doormat kind of love. If you are in a situation of abuse or violence, leave. Do not stay in it. Get out, ask for help, go somewhere safe so you can heal. This type of love is not inviting you to stay in those places. This is different. And there will come a day when God will come again and he will make things right. He will bring his justice. To get to that moment when we can find compassion within ourselves, excuse me, to get to that moment when we can find compassion in ourselves for that person. Our enemy may take time, it may take a lot of healing, and it may take distance. But we're still called to love because it matters, because our hearts matter, and this world really, really matters. (laughs) <laughs> oh, excuse me. I remember as a teenager, I think it was, reading a book by Corrie Ten Boom and being so incredibly struck by it. Um, she was about my age, actually. I was imagine she was younger, but she was about my age, early 50s, and she was a watchmaker in Holland, and, um, and she lived with her sister, who was a similar age, and her elderly father, and the Nazis then invaded Germany and her family joined the Dutch resistance and they would house um, Jewish people as part of their sort of escape from the horrendous things that the Germans uh, were doing to them. And um, finally in uh, 1944 she was arrested along with her sister and her father and her father died Almost immediately after that, he was elderly, but she was sent with her sister um, to Ravensbrück concentration camp, which I think is in Germany. And she spent um, her time in there watching such phenomenal cruelty, um, such uh, death and um, terrible things around her and um, spurred on by her sister, who sounded like a beautiful, gentle soul. Uh, while they were in there, they continued to love people. They continued to show people God's um, love and care. And then, after she left, a couple of years later, uh, she, well, she used to go around and teach people, we need to forgive. She used to go around and teach about forgiveness. And um, after she then was set free from the concentration camp, um, a couple of years later, she actually met her enemy, and in an act of love, uh, she's asked to forgive him. And so I'm going to just read to you um, her story from her words, because I think that's more powerful. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him a balding, heavy set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken. It was 1947 and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbone. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, um, uh, ribs sharp between the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he didn't remember me. But since then, he went on, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did in there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sin had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew it, and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, you supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love as intensely as I did then. Incredible love. But how hard to forgive, even when the enemy asks for forgiveness. It's so hard. Martin Luther King's enemies. I haven't heard stories of them ever coming to him and saying that they were sorry before he was assassinated in 1968. I love this photograph of him. Often the Ku Klux Klan would go round and put um, wooden crosses in the front gardens of those they were opposed to and burn them at night. And it was just a sign of hatred and um, a warning, I suppose. And yet on this morning in 1960, um, Martin Luther King would have known that the cross was burning that night and yet in the morning he puts on his best suit and he takes his precious little son and he goes out the front and he just looks at the cross for a while and then he picks up the cross and he holds it up as as the Baptist minister that he was and he prays, he prays for the people that burnt that cross and he prays for their well-being And down through time, people have chosen in precious moments to love, to let God's love so saturate them that they can overcome evil and love their enemy. Against all those natural urgings, they find the strength and the compassion and they choose to see their person as God sees them. And they love. For you and me, what does that mean? How can we love our enemy if we don't have enemies? How can we love that person that irritates us, that annoys us, that we completely disagree with, that's just different from us? How can you offer them small cups of water through the day, whether you need to stay far away from them and do if you need to, or whether from nearby? I think it takes conversation. I think it takes conversation with people that you know and trust often to know how can I do that? How can I get to a place where I can love other people? How can I pray for Putin in this time? My prayers have changed from praying for him to have a heart attack (laughs) to praying that that he will encounter God and that God will restrain his activity. Yeah. (laughs) So, but it comes from conversation, and I've had many a conversation with people. How do we pray for these people? How do we pray? And in any moment that we choose to love when love is incredibly hard, any beautiful, transcendent moment like that, I wonder what creation around us does because creation is eagerly waiting for the return of King Jesus and King Jesus's kingdom. I imagine creation in those moments feels tingles of anticipation. I imagine it catches a smell or a sound or a sense. God, kingdom is here in this moment. And what happens in the heavenly realms that are around us in those moments of love when it is difficult? I imagine the eyes of the spiritual beings open a little bit more. And I wonder if there is an eruption of joy in the heavenly realms, like an eruption of butterflies or something. Because God's kingdom is here in that moment when the cup of water is given, when love is given. It matters that we love because we are transformed because our world is transformed. The band are going to come and sing a beautiful song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I love this song because it recognizes that we cannot do this, only Jesus Christ, King Jesus in us, that we can do this. We need him to give us the power the strength the compassion to do this so it may be that you want to stand and sing this song as your declaration i am gonna live god's kingdom here on earth i am gonna bring cups of water to people or it may be while the song is playing that you just pray God, I don't know that I can do this, just like Corrie Boomed, uh, Corrie ten Boom did. I don't know that I can do this. I, I'm not liking this at all, but I just sit with you right now, stand with you right now. Let your love fill me. Let your love fill me. But take this time now to respond.